Radioinfluence.com. I feel like my life is just getting greater by the week, Jason. I, I, I started on this co-host journey, right? This thing to find dope people I could sit and have these dope conversations with here on a DJ Eakin podcast. And I, and I feel like every week, thanks to having really dope friends, shouts out to my man Amir Boyd, uh, Amir K. Boyd. Let me make sure I get that right. DC's finest. Uh, he linked me with a brother today that I know a lot about his business, but I didn't know a lot about him Exactly. So I, I get to get that story today and get into, you know, the things he's into. And and let me get this brother's name right, because it is, it is a bit. He, I'm sure he'll, he'll he'll correct me if I'm wrong. My guy, Fred Mwanga Gahanga. Did I get that right? You absolutely did. Hey, I, I, I want to make sure I get that respect, man. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time, man, to rock with me here at the DJ podcast, man. How are you, first of all, man? I'm doing great. I mean, it's a holiday weekend coming up and I just can't wait to get away. Oh, well, there you go. And, and, and for the folks that are watching, like, yo, Ekin, who is this dude? L- let, me, let me give you a little rundown, okay? He was uh, said to be the top media person in 2014 by the New York Observer, touted by the New York Times as a rising star, and also called the mogul of black celebrity news and the creator, founder, brainchild behind what is known as media takeout. Sir, um... Before I even let you get into that story, let me back up a little bit because you are also a lawyer by trade. Uh, how how do you do it, man? Like, like that's, let's just start there, bro. Like, like how do you do all of that? Well, I mean, I did, I did it all one step at a time. And I think my story is like a lot of other people's story. You, I went to college. I graduated from college, went to law school. My parents told me that that was kind of the way to go, the way to the American dream. Back in my mind, I always thought entrepreneurship was what I wanted to do. So there was always that kind of tension. Like, do I do this, go the safe route, the route that my friends and family and parents want me to go down? Or do I kind of bet on myself and go out there? So early on, I didn't. I took the kind of safe route. I graduated from a good law school. I went went to a law firm and worked on that for four years. And and what kind of what kind of law were you practicing? Like I said, I, I want to get through this story the right way. What kind of what kind of law were you practicing out of, out of law school? I was a I was a corporate tax lawyer. So we did we would do some of we would uh, give advice on tax consequences for some of really the most complicated mergers and transactions in the world. So it was really, really high level stuff that I was doing over there. It was right. Interesting. It was challenging. But it was at a place where I just didn't see my future there. So I, I always knew when I was going in, I was like, you know, listen, I'm, they love me over here. They get to tell me all the right things. It's a great place to work, but it just wasn't for me. And I knew that kind of going in. And so I was always just like, as I was going in, I was showing up to work every day, making sure I did a good job, learning as much as I could, but also saving as much money as I can. And every waking moment that I wasn't thinking about what I was doing at work, I was working on this side hustle that would eventually become a bunch of companies and then media takeouts. Right. Because because before there was media takeout and, and I'm following this story here, the entrepreneur thing takes over. And I don't know if this was your first venture, but this is the one that's often talked about. You start a laundry service. And and I want to know how you got there because entrepreneurs are, you know, we're considered various. It's like this thing that goes, I should do this. And I want to know with you whether well, obviously you had to see that there was like a hole in the business here. You know, so you were like, I can create this thing that could work there. But when you're looking at things and you're saying you also want to be an entrepreneur other than being this corporate lawyer that you are, did you see 
this laundry service business and, and and you can tell us exactly what it what it entailed did you see that or was that like something you said okay something else something else and then you got to the laundry uh service thing well I, I knew i wanted to start a business i knew i wanted to be an entrepreneur but now the question is what what kind of business do you want to start and i think you know a lot of times when pe- people have a passion so let's say they're a singer so they want to start a music business or you know they're an actor maybe they want to start an acting school or something like that that wasn't the kind of entrepreneur that i was I, all i knew is i wanted to start a business and really it didn't matter what kind of business it was it, it could have been a cleaning service it could have been a restaurant if, if there was a real opportunity that i saw there that was the opportunity that i was going to take and so how i came up with laundry is i was here here i was i was working on wall street i was wearing nice clothes and then i'd send them out and, and, and at the time and it's pretty much the same thing right now, which is amazing. 15 years later, no one kind of figured this out, which is that I didn't have time to do laundry and I had enough clothes that I needed to send to the dry cleaner. So what would end up happening is I would send out my laundry to the laundry service and then I would send out my dry cleaning clothes to the dry cleaner. And there were two separate places. I'd have to call different people and kind of organize and schedule and they wouldn't come back at the same time. And I was thought, this is just kind of weird. Why couldn't you just send put all of your clothes in one hamper send it to one place have them separate out the dry cleaning stuff the laundry stuff and then also sometimes too there was some stuff that i didn't want to send to the to the laundry service because maybe it was it was a pair of jeans that needed to be washed but not dried so i would have to like go to the laundry and do that myself and so it was it was all this kind of wasted time towards laundry and i always wondered like what if you can just throw everything in a bag a person would, a a human being would lift it up and read what's on the label, wash it according to the label. So if it was dry cleaning, they'd send it to the, they'd dry clean it. If it was hand wash, they'd hand wash it. If it was line dry, they'd line dry it. And if it was just regular laundry that they'd in the dryer, they'd put it in the dryer. And then they'd put it back together, package it for you and deliver it all to you back at the same time within 24 or 48 hours. So that was the concept behind it. And part of the reason why I came up with it and why why the market wasn't um, serviced by this is because I, well, I did some research and started talking to some of the dry cleaners and laundry people. And they were not, the, the type of person that opened up a laundry service was usually typically a blue collar worker. They didn't necessarily work in an office, nor did they really know too many people that worked in offices. So they didn't even really know that this was a problem. And so it was it was one of those kind of almost like an aha, you know, using Oprah's phrase, it was an aha moment. Like the people that are running these businesses are not the customers of this business so they don't know them they don't understand what the customer wants because they just don't know they don't have that conversation and so that was kind of the 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 essence of what the laundry service was going to be it was going to be a service that was giving the customers what they wanted and that i think is the essence of any business yeah yeah i was gonna ask you that shouldn't that be like the and i and i think so many business people miss that right like we hear oftentimes like the customer's always right but and i don't know if i take that in the the whole sense but but you have to have something that the customer you have to be filling a need right you have to be filling this this void that makes the customer's life easier and i think so many people they have these ideas and they look right past that part one of the interesting parts though about this story though uh, and and i really want you to touch on this because i i um we're working on something here called hip hop study hall right and one of the things that i try to show like the younger kids is that the opportunities through the music business that people don't understand that are there right and from your story Part of your clientele becomes names like Mariah Carey, the Victoria's Secret folks, right? 
in your wildest dreams, though, like a kid probably doesn't think, but Mariah Carey does have to get her clothes clean. Like these people do actually wear, they wear really dope clothes and they actually don't all just throw their clothes away after one wear. Like you see the rappers, you know, I only wear these Air Force Ones one time and then, you know, but to that, like, how did you get these clients when you, like you said, you, you had met plenty of laundry people that they're not doing this business. Well, I, I think kind of the, so when I, when we started, so that was the, the essence of the business was starting this laundry service that would separate things out. There are a bunch of problems with starting a business like that. And there's a reason why the majority of the people didn't do it. And that's because it's incredibly labor intensive for someone to actually look at every one of the things. So you have to hire more people. If there's an additional layer of, of, uh, of operations to kind of look through stuff and then separate the, the clothes into dry cleaning and line dry and, and regular laundry and then reassembling it. So there's, there's a, a ton of extra cost to do laundry like that. And then, so the, 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 the consumer or the, the, the existing um, um, launderers were saying, well, why would we do that? There's a ton of costs and people are not willing to pay any more for the service. So that's when I said, well, look, if we're going to do this, it's going to cost more. So in order to kind of make it worth it for the customer, we're not just going to just do this. That's the, 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 the basis of the company is what I said. But what we decided to do is to market this service in a way that was a luxury service. So the idea was, hey, there's regular laundry if you're a regular person, or there's a luxury laundry if you have the kind of clothes and you're the kind of person that enjoys luxury in your life. And so it was really like, a, it was a marketing push that we used. And I think we did a really good job on that to kind of try and transform the way that people looked at laundry. And there's a number of companies out there. And before we did it, we were reading all these books. It's what Starbucks did to coffee, right? Before Starbucks was around, a cup of coffee was a dollar, and it, you know, wherever you went. And now you, a cup of coffee could be five or $6, right? The only way that they can make you pay more is they have to make you believe in the experience. They do give you better, better. Um, they give you more coffee, right? They give you better beans. It's more sustainably um, um, farmed and harvested. They pay more to their employees. They do a lot of good things with it, but they also give you this kind of brand, right? Like, so you are a Starbucks person when you're holding that cup and you're better than the guy or the gal who has just the regular cup of coffee that they got from the cart. Right. So there, there's that part of it too. And so after reading all these books and learning and understanding how these companies did that, we basically used a lot of the same marketing tactics that they use that Starbucks use and other companies to in the laundry service, in the laundry uh, uh, department. So instead of the laundry, it just being a typical laundry service, the idea was in the company's name was the laundry spa. And the tagline was pamper your clothes. Oh, oh. and there you go. That's so, right there. I want, I want to take my jeans there and get them pampered, you know, you know, <laughs> there, I, <laughs> there you go. And so, so along with that, once you start kind of putting out that kind of luxury spa, like imagery and stuff, it caught on, it caught on with certain stylists. They were like, you know, the stylists will wash closely, but they're like, Hey, we're going to, you know, this, this person has a lot of expensive stuff. And it caught on with more and more people. And then celebrities started getting on it. We got it right up in the, the, the New York post and, a lot of the other uh, uh, national papers, Men's Vogue wrote about it. So we started getting a lot of press and then the celebrities kind of came after and they were saying, hey, I want my clothes to be pampered too. And that was kind of where we, uh, where we went with that. So it was, um, it, it was one of those things that like, you know, when you, you plan it out, you spent years planning it out, thinking about the marketing strategy. Operationally, there was a ton of things that we had to do to kind of get it right. It took us a long time to kind of get it. But then to like see it, 
actually work the way that you envisioned it. That was kind of the amazing part. Yeah, I'm a little upset right now that I didn't get any of my clothes. I'm a little upset that I'm meeting you this late in life because I feel like I feel like a few of my jeans should have been pampered. I just feel like I, I know I've had a couple of suits that should have been pampered. Right. So so moving through your life here and, and this is really dope, man, like these stories, because you get to hear like someone. I don't When you're sitting up, though, and you think of pampering your did anybody in your on your team think that that was silly though did anybody or it was the whole team like that's is that your aha moment you go that's it that's it right yeah, there. i mean it's really and, and it's all entrepreneurship is all about solving problems right like we had no money right or very little money we were a bunch of black folk and we were trying to do laundry upscale laundry where the vast majority of our customers were white so you you were you had all these issues these these problems, and these are gigantic problems in starting a business. And so you have to come up with really, really creative solutions to kind of get over, get around them, right? So you have to say, we have to charge higher prices, right? You know, you could say, we could have just said, well, no, we're gonna keep the prices down. You just kind of accept the problem with being that. And then you come up with a creative solution and say, hey, if we're gonna charge higher prices, let's just make this service more fun, more elegant, more smooth. And so we, we the, the, the concept of that the, the, the concept was always there. And now there was, it was just a matter of kind of putting the right kind of words and kind of phrases and imagery that kind of fit that concept of this luxury thing. And so we thought about different ways. We thought about like, maybe we'll do like a French laundry, right? And make it like Parisian or we'll do like a, you know, like a fun laundry. And then we were like, oh no, it's a spa, right? And then we had like these bubbles and the idea of a spa which is a majority of our customers are women, we're like, well, you know, what woman doesn't love a spa? Right. right? So it's like, where you're sending your clothes to the spa and they're going to come back and be extra snuggly because they're all, you know, nice and relaxed from the spa. And that's kind of a, the concept. And there you go. Cause, cause I'm there because I, if she tells me that she wants my clothes to be snuggly, I'm going to be like, where, <laughs> where do I take my clothes at sweetheart to get them snuggly? You know what I'm saying? So, so right around the time you're doing this and what year is this? Because right around, I guess I'm guessing around this time too, the internet is starting to show itself just a little bit, right? The internet is starting to show itself. And without jumping too far ahead in your, in your story, um, because I got to get to this, this media takeout part is, is, is a super big deal, but I feel like we have to lay the foundation for who you are, right? You, you decide that you're going to sell, sell this business, right? Are you already though peeping at what's, are you already like thinking about the next thing? Or is that is it is, is the digital space anywhere on your radar there then as you're doing this business? So once while I'm doing the business, it's I'm 100% focused on the business. I mean, it really was one of those businesses where I worked 20 hours a day, seven days a week. It was really taking up all my attention. But we were doing a lot, a lot of things. Like I said, marketing was a huge piece of it. So we were doing a lot of marketing online. And at the time, online. I mean, this is now you know 17, 18 years ago. It seems like a, a a lifetime ago, but the internet is, was not what it is today. So yeah. the, the majority of people were not on the internet, right? Like the majority of people over like 40 were not on the internet at all. The younger people weren't on the internet. There was, there was kind of this sliver of people that were 20 ish to like 30 ish that were on the internet and they were on the internet a lot. So let and me stop you. Let me stop you. Let me stop you. What is it about it that intrigued you? Before we go any further, what is it about the internet that you saw right at that moment right there, right? You said 40-year-olds were barely on it at all, right? 20-year-olds are like, eh, I don't know about this thing. It's new. It's What was it that you saw 
So for us, it was just, we were trying to, to advertise, right? And so advertising at the time was mostly print. There, were, there was billboard advertising um, and there was other stuff. And we, we did some, we did some billboard advertising and the like, and the advertising in order to get like a, an advertising budget, a billboard advertising budget locally for us here. And we were, we started in New York. It was like 10 or $15,000 as a minimum. It was a start before you could even get it. So it was just, we just really didn't have the funds to do traditional advertising. But there was this thing called the internet that was coming out there and it just happened to be kind of incredibly popular amongst the exact same demographic of people that we were trying to target. So what we would do is we would go to the, and at the time too, when, when, when I say the internet, this was like the, the start of the blogosphere. So there were, there were blogs, which were largely like just people writing about their lives, like a daily diary. And there was some, and then there'd be some humor in it and there'd be some fun and some, and people would get a follow. No, nothing like the millions of people that you see on social media right now, but you might get 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, 25,000 people. And so here you had these people and there were, there were, there were people that didn't even know how to monetize it. There, were, there was no advertising on their blogs at all. It was almost like a medium page, or, or they, they just had their 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 made their stuff up there. And fifteen thousand people, largely the same demographic of the people that we were trying to target, were what were reading this. And so, you know, a lot of times when you're when you're working, you're you're spending a lot of time working, but there's downtime. And so, downtime, we just started reading these blogs and would laugh. You know, me and my my wife, who's my partner, um, we talk about the blog. And then I was just like, well, why don't we just reach out to them and tell them, hey, we want to advertise. There was no advertising on there. And I'm not even sure if they actually considered this a real advertising opportunity. Right. So a lot of times when we would, we would call them, they'd be like, what do you mean advertising? Like, I don't know how to advertise. And so we would say, hey, you have this site up there. Why don't you allow us to hire a programmer? We'll put advertising on your site. We'll figure out a way to put advertising on your site. But no cost to you. And then we'll buy the advertising on your site. And so that was a, a deal that I think most people couldn't. They were like, sure, but why not? Great. And so we would do that. We would find a blog. We would tell them we wanted to advertise on them. We would send a, you know, a team over to, to the ones who wanted it. And then we would buy, use that to buy the, the ads. And it, it was way more economical. So whereas, you know, to get a, a billboard was, you know, starting, you know, $10,000 to talk to them. You could literally get, you know, a hundred percent run of site. You know, you could basically get in front of all of their readers for like two hundred dollars or three hundred dollars. Wow. So for us, it was like this is like the best deal in the world. We'll pay, you know, we'll pay the thousand dollars for the the, the the programmer to kind of put the ads on your site if we can get your all your readers for you know two hundred bucks. And so we would go to one blog after another blog after another blog after another blog, and that was a, a, an integral part of our advertising strategy. And what we saw over time is initially we would go to them and we'd get $200. And eventually the prices would go up and the prices would go up and it would go through Andrews and 500 and a thousand. Cause other, other companies would see that they could advertise on there and they'd bid up the prices. Right. And their audience was also growing because this was right at the time where the internet was starting to come up. There was remember part of the reason why the internet hadn't exploded the way that it did is that there was no mobile internet. The only way that you could access the internet at the time for the most part, was on your computer right. at work and mostly at work right because people a lot of times people didn't even have computers at home unless you were a college student or the like so it was a lot of times it was just people at work so if you were working on a computer then you were on but then the mobile internet started coming up and people started being able to access it on their phones 
And the audience started to grow. And the audience for all of these people started to grow tremendously. And we were like, because I was there and I knew these bloggers from day one before they had anything. And I watched all of their businesses grow. I mean, we were one of the first advertisers for Perez Hilton. Wow. And we watched over the course of a year, the advertising the advertisements that we would pay a hundred dollars for within a year was forty or fifty thousand dollars. So while the entire world had no idea what was what the opportunities were in the blogosphere, we had firsthand knowledge. Right, you were watching. We had been in, we've been watching it. This is part of our advertising strategy. We were looking at it. And we, were, I was like, wow, this is this industry is just amazing. It's exploded. It, at the time, I still wasn't thinking about like making the switch because I was still a hundred percent in on the business that I was in. But eventually when we sold the business, then I was like, okay, well, what, what's the next opportunity? I had already seen how quickly these blogs were growing. The market didn't know it. The average person on the street had no idea what was going on, but I knew it because I saw it. And so I was like, that is the business. That is the industry. It's almost like, you know, getting on Bitcoin early or something like that. Like you see it and nobody else, nobody else is there. So you gotta, you gotta jump on there as quickly as possible. And that was, that was what we did. We jumped right in it. Yeah, you you are you are early, dude, because for to say that you were the first one on a Perez Hilton, right? Like which is dude's probably like been at the top of the blogging game for a long time, right? So to see it go from like you said, you're paying a hundred, two hundred bucks for an ad or something like that, and easily forty, fifty grand is being spent a few years later for it and add on that same page is kind of crazy. It wasn't even a few years later. It was even within one year, which makes That's it even, quick. which makes it even crazier, right? It's what we're looking at Bitcoin now thinking, Oh my God, if we would only been early, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so you see this and in 2006, you drop what we all know now is media takeout. And I guess the first thing I want to know is where did you come up with the name for media takeout? So initially, um, and this is, you know, we didn't, we, we knew we, I know I wanted to get in the blog industry, but I didn't know kind of what it was going to be. Right. So it wasn't necessarily about gossip. It wasn't necessarily about sports. We, 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 we didn't want to, we wanted to be flexible when we launched it. So we just said it's about media. And that was kind of the, 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 the concept. And then the takeout part was we kind of listed it out. And the, the idea was it was kind of a takeout menu. And you still see now we still list all the headlines down where most blogs don't do that. They put the whole story or a lot of the story on the page. So we list all the stories uh, out there and then allow you to choose the way that what story you want, almost like a takeout menu. And so that was kind of the concept. It's like a takeout menu for all the media that's out there right now. And that was the initial thing. And then we made a couple of switches and went the gossip route. Here we are. What is, was it initially targeted at, at us, the, the African-American black audience? Was it initially, um, and, and I, I want to get into this as well, because I know you've, you've had some discussion on whether it's an urban media site, right? Was it, was it in the beginning, was your focus? I know you were saying that you were doing, you know, it was sports, it was these different things, but was the target the, the black audience at first? So, I'd love to say yes, but it, it's and it's not not entirely clear. I mean, it was always on the back of my mind, and I can I can tell you this: when we did, um, so we had the, the the laundry service, and it was we had all these uh, press that we were getting written up. We were in Men's Vogue, and we were on TV, and literally we had like fifty different press pieces out there. And so, you know, right before we sold the company, we got a uh, a write up in Black Enterprise, and 
I can tell you that even to this day, I'm not sure that I ever got a response from people like I did from that Black Enterprise piece. I mean, literally, like people I went to kindergarten with wow. would find me out and were like, I heard what you're doing. I'm so proud of you and all of that. And this is all Black people. And so there was something in, inside of us. When we, when we were running the, the laundry service, remember, the laundry service was at, in, it was in New York City and it was high end. So our customers, in large part, were Black people. And the company wasn't necessarily put out as a black company. And if you didn't like look carefully, you wouldn't have even known that it was there. So we didn't prominently put that out there. And so when we got, but when we got the response and we saw like the amount of love that we got from our community, that was, to me, it was something in my mind that was just like, you know what, when we, we should have gone in on this and we should have like, gone in and, and and tried to do more to target the African-American consumer. Because look at the response that we got. And like I said, we were written up in Men's Vogue, you know, and, and New York Post, like millions and millions and millions of people have read this. Black Enterprise has a large audience too, but not compared to the one the, 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 the other publications I'm talking about. But because it was focused specifically towards Black people, the response that we got was just so amazing that I was in the, in my mind and me and my wife were talking about it. We're like, we've got to, this is a huge, this is something that we really need, need to kind of harness. And so when we started media takeout, it was more like we, I still wasn't a hundred percent convinced on that. I should have been, and I, I'd love to tell you that I was, but I was still kind of like a little bit, I don't know. We're going to kind of leave the window open and maybe we could go down because the time, you know, gossip and celebrity news was really about Paris Hilton and Britney Spears and whatever. And so to, to do a focus specifically on African-American gossip was really taking a step outside of, you know, what most people thought was a smart business move. So we were kind of out there, but then as we, what we would do is we would put up the, some Britney Spears stories, and some Paris Hilton stories. Um, but then we'd also put like some Beyonce stories or, you know, or whoever, uh, Rihanna or whoever was out at the time. And those stories would always get, um, better viewing, better viewing than the other ones. Because the, 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 the two points, one is I would, I would send out to all my friends and say, Hey, I got started the site, come look at it. And most of them are black people. So they went right. to black tech. But also the other side of it is that there was kind of a hole in the market too, that there was, there were 500 places talking about Paris Hilton and Britney Spears that you could look at, but how many people places were out there talking about Beyonce? They really weren't that many. So, you know, in supply and demand, we just kind of had a greater, um, because we had something that was more scarce, more people came to it. And so, you know, those two factors were there. And as we started seeing that kind of growth going, and because of the experience that we had over at Black Enterprise, it was very easy to just early on, I think it was maybe a week or two in, we were like, this is, we're gonna go black 100%. We're gonna drop all this other stuff out. And we're just gonna go 100% into our community. We're black anyway. We don't even, I don't even know anything about Britney Spears and Paris Hilton. But, right. you know, you know about Beyonce, you know about Jay-Z, you know about hip-hop, right? So that was kind of the, 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 the impotence behind it. Right. Now, this is where it gets tricky for me. Like, you're going and you're seeing these numbers grow and you're watching this. And now you figure out, I'm going to target the black audience, right? And I, and I, I read uh, some stuff on you and, and I know you've had this question posed to you before. Um, you're doing this blog. At some point, though, I'm sure you realize that you can do a positive story over here that Cardi B just donated $100,000 to her old neighborhood and a building got built, whoop-dee-whoop-dee-whoop. But then over here, 
if Cardi B cuss somebody out in Burger King, them clicks is way different. So, and I again, I saw you you had you had to talk about this. People were people were saying stuff like, "Can we get some positive news?" And and the one thing I that I have to say that made me be like, <laughs> media takeout is wild. Is whoever writes them headlines to get us to click, yo, like them headlines. We be like, yo, who wrote the, who wrote the headline? Because I'm I'm just gonna probably click because I'd be like, who wrote this headline? You know, okay, you know, so so that was one thing with me. So at at some point, right, the stories are taken where I'm sure you're noticing that the chaos is getting a little bit, a few more clicks. Probably, is it double? Does it go triple? Then say like, you know, like I said, Cardi B went to her old neighborhood, donated some money, a dope community center got built. Woo-ha, yes, we love it. But then we off that. We quickly over here like, you see Cardi B cut somebody out in the drive-thru at Burger King and we sharing that in the chaos or whatever. When you ran into that or at what point did you notice that and then your stories became more about, a, was it a business move? And, and I know this question is kind of all over the place. I'm not meaning it to be, but you know, I guess you know what I'm trying to say is the stories at some point seem like it's a lot more of the chaos of us as opposed to the positivity of us. And, I, and I, that's just the way news is. I'm, I mean, I'm a news person. I know that. At what point did you see that you guys shifted maybe was that a business move to shift or is it just the way the news is it news is well i think the kind of two I, there's two answers to that the, the first point is what we would always do is we would just kind of report it all and, and and part of the reason why we when the format that we use and we still use it today where we have that number of stories that are put out there is that we actually will put both stories on there, right? Like, so we'll put the story about Cardi B, you know, donating um, the hundred thousand dollars, and we'll put the story about Cardi B uh, that is, um, you know, whatever she's doing. And these uh, aren't real stories; these were just my examples, right. folks. No, so no, don't no, act right. like the man right. did that. These were my examples. Right. <laughs> Go ahead. Right. So what will happen is we'll put both of those stories, and it's it's the reader has the choice. The reader doesn't have to read the story about Cardi B, you know, doing whatever craziness. The reader could choose to just read the story about. Cardi B um, donating that money. And, you know, it, it's hard for, I think, for a lot of people to believe, but there are actually people that do that. They actually will go over there and they'll, they'll, choose, they'll, they'll say, oh, you know, I, you know, the chaos and, and that's going on, it's just too much for me. I just want to read this other story. And, and, and maybe they find it interesting. Maybe they're like, wow, you know, that charity, I know that charity, so I, I'm more interested in that. So it's, those stories actually do get views. It's not like they don't, they get no views. They just don't get as many views. And so this brings me to the second part, the second answer to the question. And that's that, I think a lot of times people, they forget that as black people, we're just people and we are no different than anyone else. So if you just for a second here, forget about media takeout and just look at the way that all news is reported, right? Like when you look at TMZ, like what is TMZ? They're reporting people getting locked up and, you know, getting, you know, uh, horrible health issues or getting shot or getting, you know, whatever. They're, they're reporting on tragedies. They're not, you know, it's not that they're doing it because they're trying to destroy the white race or whatever else like that, right? These are the kind of stories. There's a reason why, you know, when there's a car crash on the side of the road, people look. There's something inherent about us that wants to know the scandal that's going on, right? There's there's something about us. And I, I know there are people out there that are like, oh, you know, I'm not into gossip. Even though I talk to guys, they're always like, I'm not into gossip, you know, I, I just don't like gossip. And I always say to them, oh, you're not, so you're not interested in, you know, where Kevin Durant's going to be playing basketball next year or, you know, how much, you know, how much money uh, uh, Devin Booker's next contract is going to be or who's going to be, you know, the next coach of the New York Giants, right? Like, it's just, 
these are speculative gossip, but it's just about different stuff, right? Like some people might be interested in political gossip, right? Like who's going to be running for, you know, for mayor in Chicago next year or who's going to, you know, and it's all kind of the same thing. It's, it's a, it's, it's something that's inherent in all human beings. So when someone says, I just don't appreciate that, I don't, I don't buy it. There's, there's something about it. You know, maybe you're not interested in people's relationship, but there's something that you're interested in kind of knowing the behind the scenes, the information, the, the people are whispering about, and not just the 100% factual stuff that you could read in a, a press release. There's always that inherent need in us as human beings. So when we do this kind of stuff, and it, it takes me back kind of all the way to the, when we first started, when we were talking about, you know, giving the customer what they want, right? When you're running a business, and if you're, if you're not giving the customer what they want, then you're not going to be in business long. And if we know that there's something inherent in every human being, and like I said, this has nothing to do with black people, because if you look at the white media, they're doing the exact same thing we're doing over here. Something inherent in all of us that we need to, that we want this. And, you know, and, and this is where I think the danger comes in in the criticism of black media that does this. It's because a lot of times when people say, well, you're a black company, you shouldn't be doing it. So you have a need in black people, just like in everyone else. But then you've created a, a world where that need can never be satisfied by black companies. So what an error leak happens is the white companies say, oh, what there's no black company doing it hey i'm going to do the what that is and i am going to be the one the arbiter of news for black communities where i have no interest in seeing anything you know and reporting anything positive i don't i don't have feel any kind of uh thought inside of me of whether or not anything good or bad news is done for the black community and you see this over and over and over and over again i'll give you a perfect example of you remember when um, when we talk about reality TV, reality TV, at least black reality TV, was largely started by BET. BET started off with um, Keisha Cole's reality show, and that really took off. And um, then they launched like Nephi or Sister, and they really kind of- Was that before College TV. Hill though and stuff like that too? At College Hill, College Hill, same thing, right? right. College Hill launched, right? And then you had this. So, so, you know, if you were talking about the black reality world, it was all BET. And what happened is there became this kind of outroar that they were like, BET is going over there and just putting ghetto black folks on TV and just like tearing us up and tearing us down and they shouldn't do this. I know this is personally because I, I speak it, spoken to people there. And then black people started like showing up at the CEO of BET's house. Wow. And was like sitting outside a house, like holding like protests over like the Keisha Cole and Nephi show and whatever else and whatever. And it actually like affected her personally. Like it affected her well-being. Not not just her well-being, like her, I don't know that she felt scared, but she was just more like, I don't deal with this. Right. So she basically put out an edict and was like, we're not doing any more black reality TV on here. We're just not doing it. And eventually, and it, as soon as they did that, VH1 launched Flavor of Love. And then the Ray J show, and then whatever else, and then Bravo came in, and then they do it right now. So if you if you are watching a black reality TV right now, chances are you're watching it on We or Bravo, some other not black owned network. People and the people that are making the decisions are not black people. Yeah. The people that are doing this, 
and they're not interested. When you, you tell them stuff, they might say, okay, well, you know, they don't want to get like caught and like um, exposed for anything. But just that, just, and I'm not saying it as being negative, just like if you're not part of the culture, you don't feel the impact of it like we do. Now, luckily, there's some other ones, right? right like TV One, I think, came on and they're, they're doing stuff. And so that's a little bit better. And Zeus now is coming up with stuff. Although Zeus has. Some, I was going to say Zeus is, uh, Zeus is like, yeah. like, Zeus is like, oh, Mona Scott don't want to go this far. We're going to go <laughs> yeah. this far because, you know, Mona Scott, she took the Love and Hip Hop franchise and she's been eating so lovely since, you know, since that dropped. And it's like, Zeus is like, well, you know what? Mona Scott left some stones unturned. We, we're going to do this right here, right? Um, but I mean, think about it. Think about it. Even when you talk about Mona Scott doing it, right? Like it's Mona Scott that's doing it, but the production company that owns it is, is right. not a black owned company, right? And then VH1 is obviously not black owned. So, so you're literally talking about whereas a, a a show like love and hip-hop the largest black cast has a large overwhelmingly black audience and when you look at who's actually winning from the making of that show it's not black people and that's the problem with it and had you just left it on bet then yeah they could do that they could have had that and then they could have had bigger ratings and then they could probably produce better tv shows that were for black people and whatever so we could literally be in a better position if we just didn't just say, hey, let's stop, stop giving me what I want. Right. Do you do you think sometimes that that we as black people do our own selves a disservice? And I, I guess maybe you were to that point just now, like when you look at like like you said, you give the audience both choices on your website, you know, on media takeout. And you can see the numbers that quite often the chaos cl- is what's clicked on more, whereas if it was shown to you through the data that people are just, oh my God, we love these feel good stories. We want to keep clicking. You'd probably feed them more, but the audience, no, no doubt. the no, audience no doubt. doesn't click like, it on themselves. Do you think that we, we got to get out of that though? Because it seems like that's what happens a lot of times too. When I, when I have these discussions, right, you're looking at the data and you're also running a business, right? So, but we, as an audience, we're not, we never seem to take accountability. We just blame them. They just keep giving this to us. When you're telling me right now that you give us the choices right there. And we are showing you by our clicks that nah, the chaos is what we gonna share, and this is what I'm gonna send around Facebook to all my friends for them to click on. Right, right. I mean, it's 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 always there, and that's that's always the dichotomy, right? Like the customer, like a lot of times they'll be interested in the stuff, but then you know after a while maybe if you you might not feel good about yourself for looking at it or you know for sharing something, and then you have to find someone to blame, and you can either blame yourself or blame you know. I'm blaming you. I'm, I'm, I'm blaming you. I, I, I mean, I didn't know who you were, but I'm, I'm all I'm saying to my friends is, you know, the guy that got media takeout, he probably making all this money. He giving us all this bad stuff. When you, when you started media takeout, what, who was your, your competition? Because like you said, it was, it was early when you moved into this space. Right. And I, I know, um, you know, I got a chance to talk to Q before he passed, uh, you know, world star was running kind of crazy, but in that space you were in other than, you know, the video, videos and stuff that I think world star might've been there. Who was in your space? That was your competition. And that you were like, we got to keep up with them. We can't let them pass us in this space. I think it was always TMZ. And it's because what we did, part of what we always did, we, you know, I think a lot of blogs out there, they rely on kind of getting whatever is out there and then just being the first one to put it out. You know what I mean? So it's like if, if, 
Cardi B released it, you know, something she fell down when she's walking down. I hate to keep bringing up Cardi B. You know what I'm mean? right. somebody. She's just a big name. I get it though. I mean, like I said again, and uh, let's be clear. Right. We don't we're not this is not a Cardi B disrespect thing. She just happened to be right. such a big name that when I gave right. the example, please do not jump on my guy Fred. We are just using an example. <laughs> Cardi has not done nothing to for us. I we love Cardi. This we was love, just an example because Cardi. she's such a big name. So go ahead, Fred. Yeah. I'll make sure we get that clear. So people will take a clip, right? And then me and you running around <laughs> like yeah, these two guys just talking bad about Cardi. We like man get the whole clip out there <laughs> right, right. so let's say meg the stallion falls down and everyone sees it so you know a lot of people just post about it and then, then maybe they'll have a different headline or a different take or whatever else and i think and, and that's kind of once you get into that world you're fighting a losing battle because there's 50 different people that are saying reporting on the same thing so we always decided what we're going to do is we're actually going to spend money and actually work to create real news so we're going to be going out and trying to find news stories. We're going to be following up leads. We're going to be talking to people. We're going to be trying to find out the inside stuff. So we have a real news room, whereas I think that's almost unheard of in any blog that you have. In fact, most media companies don't really have a newsroom. But, but, but there are a couple that do. And there were TMZ, um, um, places like Radar Online. Um, now there's The Blast and there's a few others, Daily Mail. And so, and, and the New York Post. So what they, they have the newsroom. And so, when the story, when we're working on a story, usually TMZ is also working on the story. Maybe Daily Mail is always also working on a story. So we're literally just like behind the scenes fighting to get the story together, get the story out. And so, you know, from the outside, people just see, oh, a whole bunch of news. It's just being reported. It's being reported elsewhere. But from behind the scenes, there's a lot of interaction. There's a lot of calling up. There's a lot of following up, making sure what's going on trying to find out what TMZ is doing. When is TMZ going to go live with this story? Can we beat them to it? Do we have a different angle that we can get that they're not going to get? Or did they do something wrong? It's kind of like a, a back and forth kind of a, a, um, um, a competition going on between us. Friendly competition. I know the folks over at TMZ and they do a great job. Um, but so that so when, we, when we're out there, and this has been since the beginning, because there really aren't that many places out there that are doing it. And unfortunately, there are actually fewer now than they were before. And I think it just kind of says something about the, the, the nature of where we are with media today. Um, but that's kind of who we're most worried about because we could work two days on a story and they could break it, you know, six hours before us and all that time is wasted down the drain and that's kind of it. So that's for us. Right. You, you know, one of the things that, that people say, especially in this world of Instagram, right, where it seems like every day there's a new page up right now and, and stuff just flying everywhere. And, and one of the things that I will say that TMZ seems to what, you know, you'll be in the barbershop having a conversation, right? And something will come out and they'll be like, well, once I hear TMZ say it, I know it's true. Right. In the world of blogging, is that something that you and your team over at Media Takeout pride yourself on to making sure that you have the facts, even though headlines aside and like you make these really catchy headlines to make us go, I got to click on that. You know what I'm saying? Like, do you guys pride yourself on making sure that you have like, a, you know, the true story and not just, you know, these things out there to get clicks? Because that's that's the that's the running story now. Right. These people are just they taking other people's news. They build an Instagram page. And so all of a sudden they have all these followers. Right. But they're not really caring about the real news, you know, and, and, and me as considering myself a journalist, right. That bothers me a lot. You know, Denzel has a saying now, Denzel said, we're no longer doing real news. We're doing opinions, right. You watch the news now, right. And it's immediately like 
there's a they, they give you kind of the story and then they got two panelists immediately like i don't i just just give me the news for once like i just want to hear the story i don't always need the left and the right to come on here and have an argument about it right so do you guys in your newsroom do you worry about making sure that you got the facts making sure your sources are correct and you know do you worry about that part yeah that's 100 percent the most important piece of it, right because at the end of the day we've been around for 17 years now and people know this right so people they can you know you're not going to bat a thousand right like every once in a while you're going to you're going to report something somebody tells you something maybe it's even the subject of the, the article tell you something that turns out to not be true you know and you know you, you have egg on your face on that but we are 100 the most important thing that we can do is put out the truth secondly secondarily and this is where i think we differ from tmz and a lot of other places is we the we try because of we have we're still black folks and there are a limited number of celebrity black folks. We're not trying to destroy anybody with any article. So a lot of times, you know, when TMZ is kind of going out there and they're like, "This is the truth. And this is whatever," and blah blah blah, and they're putting it out there and they're, they're putting out so they could be putting out some real scandalous stuff. We're literally destroying life. We'll always kind of. We'll put it out there because, like I said, we're confident that what we're reporting is accurate. But sometimes a celebrity will come out and be like, oh, that's a lie. Or that's not true or whatever. But we're not going to fight you on it. We'll let you go with it. We're going to let you rock. Because at the end of the day, you've got to live. You've got to survive. And we're not trying to destroy anybody's life on this thing. So if this is what you got to do to kind of get past it and go, we did our job, which is reporting it. We're not going to continue to go in on it. We're not going to continue to rub your face in it. We're not going to you know, start calling the police to, to do something for you. We're not doing any of that. Let, you know, if, if that happens, that's not on us. We're not trying to destroy anyone with it, with, with any of the stories that we write. And I think that's why in large part, we have such a good relationship with some of the people that even when we write scandalous stories about them, because there's always an out, because we're never going to kind of continuously just try and put you in a position where you are now destroyed because of it. And you might have a bad day because of what we reported on it. Um, but you'll be able to bounce back from it. And and that's a, that's really important because of who we are talking about and who we're talking to. And I think that's what you don't get when you don't have a black company that's doing this, right? Because they don't care, right? Like their whole thing is, well, it's accurate. We'll deal with it, you know? Oh, you lost that contract? Oh, you got dropped by your label? Oh, you got, you know, you're never going to play in the NFL again. Oh, you're not. Oh, that's not, well, you shouldn't have done what you did. Whatever. You know what I mean? Like for us, we'll, we'll get it to, you know what I mean? Where people know what really went down, but we're not going to take it all the way and lay it all the way out there to, you know, get you fired from your job or whatever. That's on them. If they want to look into it, do it. We're not laying this whole thing out there to get you in a lot of trouble. Right. I think when, when you do that, I think, and you understand the importance of that for us. Um, I think then you, that's how you get longevity. That's how you have good relationships with almost all the celebrities that we cover. Right. Is it me or does it seem like this space that we covet, right? Black news, right? We, I, I covet it. Like, like I love being black. I love, like I love us. Like I do. Like I, and I think that we, are doing so many dope things that we may sometimes take a lot of missteps that we, if we took that one more step, we'd own a lot more than we actually do, which is why I commend you um, with what you're doing. But is it me or does it seem like the TMZs, the Vlads, these spaces are 
65, 70% stories on us. And they're making their money off. Like, it's like, yes, they could be doing other things in concentration, but it's forever a rapper. It's forever a reality star. It's like all of what like I, I consider said, I mean, low hanging fruit of just like, and it's always like we did something, you know, this, this person got shot. R. Kelly got 30 years, but it's always us somewhere in that top two or three stories every day on all of these pages. And yeah, it's, I mean, it's what it is. And, and part of it, like I said, is because there's this stigma of reporting anything but positive things. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to in the media and they're like, well, you know, hey, every every year there's somebody that goes out there and, you know, they, they'll raise a bunch of money and say, I got a new idea. I'm going to report positive stories on Black people and that's going to change the world. And I'm always looking at them and saying, well, what white news company do you know that does that? Oh, well, they might not exist, but I'm going to do it. And I'm like, well, you are you you're playing the wrong game. Like this is this is that Jedi mind trick that has been fed to us that has got us losing and losing every all, all along and wondering why. Like if you gonna look up at Vlad or any of the other people who listen, I'm not knocking them. But they're doing what they doing a good job. These are talented people that are out there doing it, right? But the question is, why aren't there more black folks out there that are doing it? Are they not black folks that have connections in the record industry that could do that kind of stuff, that have access to cameras? that have access to all this other stuff, but they don't want to necessarily face the stigma because they're like, oh, I don't want to necessarily put out like stuff like that. It's got to be positive in order for me to do it. Fine, it is, but then don't get mad when all of the black, all of the the quote unquote, the media companies that cover black people, or the majority of them, are not us because that's what wins. That there, what they're doing is what wins. What you do is what loses. And you're wondering why you lose. You skating uphill and wondering why you're losing the race. You're losing the race because you're running the wrong race. Okay. They are looking at it and laughing and saying, I can't believe that these people are doing this. And it, it's so amazing, right? Like you think about it, right? Like, and this is, this is nothing new. This is something that historically happens to us. When you think about it, looking at, I mean, looking now at hip hop and you think, you know, hip hop is so important. Look at how many billionaires it made. Look at how many, um, look at how it changed the face of music, changed the face of American culture. Probably one of the most important media uh, music genres ever in the history of mankind. Started by us, Black people, right? Do you know that the Congressional Black Caucus has never, ever come together and 100% of them voted to denounce something? They haven't voted to denounce slavery. They haven't come together to the vote. To, to denounce Jim Crow. But the one thing that in 1998 that the entire Congressional Black Caucus came together to denounce is hip-hop. Wow. Oprah Winfrey, one of the people that we know and love more than ever, she had a rule. No hip-hop artists are going to be on her show. She had the number one show in the world. She was a black woman, conscious black woman. Wasn't like a person that was, you know, on some hate and stuff. She loved black people. But in her mind, the most important media genre in the world that we created was not worthy to be on her set. And that now we can look at it, like I said, 22 years, 25 years later and realize like, what was Oprah thinking? Why would she, you know, what was going on? But when you're in the midst of this mania that we're in, you don't realize it. So what's going to happen is 25 years from now, 
when I'm, you know, old and gray and sitting around and having beers with, with, uh, with Vlad and talking about the olden days, everybody's going to be looking at it and be like, wow, you know, how that, you know, why is it that, you know, Fred's up there and there's a whole bunch of other white guys around him. And why didn't black people think about that? And when I'll say, oh, well, you know, back then they thought that it was a, it was, you know, negative to do what Vlad's doing. The people 20 years now are going to be like, those folks were crazy. Just like we today think about Oprah. What I'm saying is wipe your mind off of that. If we are winning in something, that by the very nature is what we need to be in. We need to play where we win, which we would win, right? Like if you took all the talented black filmmakers and interviewers and whatever, and you put them out there, you might not see Vlad getting the numbers that he's getting right now. You might see a, a bunch of other black faces out there doing it and doing it in a different way and doing it, having that second piece that I have, right? And, and, and you know, I'm not even not glad because Vlad actually is a conscious dude. He is respectful of the culture. So, but I'm saying others aren't. Right. So when we talk, so, when, we, when we talk about that though, and, and to that point, right, when we talk about the next set of the next set of creatives, right. And, and you can, directly answer this so if you don't want to because like i said i don't i'm not here to create controversy but when you look at okay let's say an academics who is definitely running through media right now right academics come from his start by all accounts is he sat in his house wherever he was at in jersey or wherever he was at and he kind of got his name from watching these kids in chicago kill themselves kill each other and do all kinds of craziness on youtube and was writing these reports as if he was there on the ground he became like this 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 gang culture guy who never even went to a party by all accounts. By now, again, I'm not this is not for me to say don't follow academics because I think there's a lot of good that's starting to be done around him to help him understand being a better media person because he has all these eyes on him. Right. So and I'm where I'm going with this question is to your point of, OK, when something is winning, we kind of got to go that direction. Right. And my my thing on that is. Shouldn't there be some sort of a balance or because if we all do that, which is to me what a lot of us seem to be doing, right? Like to me, you you understand a business, you understand the business model. You're also sitting back. And from what I understand about you now, now you're looking at some other things that you can you can address and maybe even invest in the next set of creatives to help them get what they're doing. But it still has to be business. Right. But you look at these things that are coming up, like you look at what academics is doing and it's always chaos. It's six, nine. It's these kids that and people are dying. When you talk this drill music, we dying like we we dying in record numbers right now. We're killing each other. We can't even blame nobody else for that because that. That's just what we publicize all the time. So you look at these other pages that are coming up constantly on on, you know, on on uh, uh, Instagram and that sort of thing. Is that what we tell the next set of creatives, though? Do we tell the next set of creatives something is working? You just got to jump on that. Or or what do we tell them when well, they're looking I, at I this think, piece? I think so with with respect to academics, you know, there's we never touched a lot of the hip hop beef stuff because we knew that there were dire consequences over it. That's a decision that we made early on. He decided, you know, to do it, do it elsewhere, do it otherwise. And the, but that was early on in his, um, in what he was doing. I think a lot of times what people, people love to kind of look at someone who has like a track record of success and kind of boil it down into like one thing. Right. So like people will look at someone like academics and they'll say, Oh, he's successful because he talked about, these folks in Chicago. And I think that's part of the story, but it's a smaller part of it than I think what a lot of people understand. He has an ability to connect and communicate with his audience that is really compelling. And that's the reason for his success. 
he started off kind of, you know, just talking about gang beefs and stuff like that. And I think at some point he even came to realize when he started seeing a lot of the consequences of it and he changed his focus. So right now he might talk about it, but he talks about it. If he does talk about it now, he does talk about it in a way more responsible way today than he did when he first started off. And he also doesn't talk about it as much, right? Like he'll talk about it if it's a big artist, but he's not just going to talk, get into the nitty gritty of, you know, what's going on in the streets of Chicago like he was doing before. So I think there is growth in there. But like I said, I think the bigger part is kind of the, just kind of undervaluing what he's accomplished and the talent that he has, you know? And I think a lot of that comes from a place, you know, kind of like a lot of the other things It's just kind of like, oh, he's not really talented. He's just doing this. And, and look, I mean, you could go back so many years. You could, I mean, you watch Ray, right? And they were talking about like what they were saying. Oh, you know, Ray's not really talented. He's just talking, singing all this, this devil music. And so that's why, that's why people are interested in it. Not because it's really interesting or good music. It's because it's the devil and the devil's taking over them, right? You know, Eddie Murphy and Raw, like when he's, you know, he's talking about it, he's like, you know, people listen to my thing and they just think I'm just cursing, 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 right. cursing. And that's, <laughs> that's why everybody, you know, it's like I got a couple of jokes in there right. now and then, right? And hip hop too, right? People think, you know, they, they, they sort of think, oh, hip hop is just, you know, women saying, you know, men saying B's and H's and, you know, all these other things. And that's all that's happening, right? There's no music going on over there. It's just a bunch of black men, you know, spreading off a bunch of curse words and, you know, violent lyrics. But there's not. There's an art form in there. But if you, if you just look at that, you know, the, the worst in, in anything, and you don't look at the rest of it, you're missing the point, right? Like uh, the, there's plenty, there are hundreds of people on social media, on Reddit, on places like that that are talking about the same violence and stuff that academics is doing and not getting anywhere near the numbers he's doing and have less respect for everything, right? Like there is real talent there. And I think over time it shows and if you've been doing it for a while, you can you can go. So, you know, to the person out there, if you think it's that easy to just go out there and just talk about Chicago violence, and that's going to make you a big story. If you believe that to be true, go ahead and try it. I assure you it's not true. I assure you that you are completely oversimplifying what, in fact, academics have done. And if you try it, you'll realize that because you're going to find that it's, you're not going to get the number of views that you think no matter how crazy you are, no matter how crazy you talk about, maybe you might get a good video for a day or two, but to do it consistently, day after day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, there's gotta be some talent in there. There can't just be a bunch of F words and you know, whatever. And, you know, so that's what I would say to that. And, you know, I think, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of times people, they underestimate how difficult it is to be successful in entrepreneurs how much of yourself you have to give, right? Like it's easy to have these interviews and talk about it or whatever else. But when you think about like how much you have to sacrifice for it, you know, and, and asking yourself truly, like, do you want that? Right? Like, do you want the life of an entrepreneur? Right. And it's not a life for many, you know? It's a lot to digest, man. Uh, man, I, I probably could talk to you all day about this, man. Can we, can we can we do this real quick before I let you get out of here? Can I just go through a couple of these headlines and you tell me if you came up yeah. with them or how you how you came up with them or, you know, uh, this one's fairly simple. You know, R. Kelly sentenced to 30 years in prison. Speaking of which, what, what are your thoughts on the R. Kelly thing? Because um, 
you know, uh, yeah, let, let's let's do that instead. Let, let's get your thoughts on some of these stories that are out there, right? Your 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 media takeout founder thoughts, okay? So I'm gonna give you right. something, and then you give me, you know, your thoughts on it, right? So I, I'm we're gonna talk R. Kelly real quick. Now, R. Kelly sentenced to 30 years. Couple of questions here. Do you think that we should still be listening to his music? And on the second point, do you think that some of his enablers? should be locked up as well? Um, to, to both of those questions. So, so to the first question, should you listen to his music? I don't really know the answer to that question. And the only reason why I'm saying is, and not for me. For me, it, I was never a huge R. Kelly fan. You know, I, I kind of was a fan of his, right? But it, his day has passed. I'm probably not going to listen to R. Kelly's music. So if I tell you I'm never going to listen to R. Kelly's music, I'm not really making a sacrifice. Okay? Right. But there are a lot of people that are real, real, true, hardcore R. Kelly fans, and can I tell them to not listen to music? It's harder, right? Like, because we listen, we still listen to music by Marvin Gaye. We know the history that he's had, and there's, a, there's been a bunch of people that have, you know, a lot of um, horrible things in their background, but were incredibly talented. And the question is, should you throw out the art because of the person? And that's a, that's something that I think personally everybody has to make the decision to. Like I said, for me, it's an easy decision because. I'm probably not going to listen to much R. Kelly unless it comes on the radio and I'm in, it's in the background. I'm probably never going to like play an R. Kelly song. So easy for me. If you're an R. Kelly fan, it's probably a little bit more difficult. That's a personal, I think, decision that I think anyone should take. The question of the, the second part, which is an interesting question, is whether or not the, his enabler should, should go to jail. It's a very interesting question because when you look at what R. Kelly was actually um, convicted of, it was a RICO case. Right, the same thing that Young Thug was invested was uh, is uh, being accused of. Right, and a RICO case means a racketeering, a criminal organization took place. So what the, the the feds are saying is that there's an entire organization of R. Kelly and his enablers that carried out these crimes. And so, at least according to the federal charging documents, there are enablers who are criminally responsible for what R. Kelly did. And because under the RICO statute, each person is as guilty as the other, those people, those enablers, are all also potentially facing 30 years in prison, the same amount of time that R. Kelly's facing. So yes, I think that the, the, the people that are enablers, if R. Kelly's gonna go to jail and it's a RICO, those enablers should also face the same charge. Atlanta baby's father goes viral for refusing to buy his baby mama's other kids food. Is he wrong? Now, before I let you get into this, you know, right now there's a rumor that this might be a whole gag on all of us, because if you go to her page, which I found now, she's got a series of videos that are like baby mama versus girlfriend. Like she's been trying to do these skit things for a while. And it's like, maybe this is the one caught on, but Let's treat it like it's a real story. Your opinion. Yeah, I don't know. She's a really good actor. Yeah. Is the baby daddy responsible for bringing all the kids food if he shows up at the baby mom's house and there are three other kids there and he only bought McDonald's for one? Is he wrong? I got to see. So I was when I saw this, it's one of those 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 you don't remember there was like that green dress and, and oh, it was a blue whether it was green blue right. or, or black. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like there was it's one of those things that like depending on where you come from, it's as clear cut as day, right? Like, so I, I was talking to my boys about this. He was like, nah, man, I thought he was a kid, he should be doing that. But I was just thinking about it like, yo, like how do you go into a woman's house? Like these are these are children, right? Like this is not 
you know, grown folks, like you go walk over there and give one child something and then just, you know, and the other, the, the other part of the story and the woman told a lot more of it today is that she, she, the, the, the child with the, 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 the baby's father, that was the youngest child. Right. He knew that the other three were there. He had a relationship with these other kids, right? They're going through the breakup of, you know, this man and, and her, and now he's just going to kind of come in and do that. It almost seems to me like he was being petty, right? Like he came in there saying, oh, I'm going to give my son something. <laughs> and the hell with the rest of these kids over here. Like you didn't even know him, right? Like you you knew these, you know these kids. And right. like I said, they're children, right? Like if think about it like this. Like if I walk up and my kids, my kids there and they're playing with their friends. I'm not going to be like, okay, here, give, give my kid this up and say, well, I don't know y'all two other boys. Ask, you go ask your father for something. I'm going to be like the, the, the person that said, okay, look, I can't just give you this stuff. Come on, all three of us, let's go to the store and get something. If they're all kind of there, right? Like, and that just seems to me to be the right way to do it. Although, like I said, I, it's one of those green or, or <laughs> right, the dresses. <laughs> because, uh, like I was talking about one of my partners, he was like, man, I don't understand. He don't owe them lady nothing. He don't owe that them kids nothing. I say baby father come over there. So, I, you know, there are people out there that feel strongly on one way. Personally, I just think he probably should have, you know, taken care of all the kids. Although, I will say, those prices at McDonald's are crazy well, now. You can't do that because there's a lot of dollar menu man. items over there. There's a do- lot of dollar menu. And what's crazy is the amount of people know. that are making like other skits. Like, that little baby that was eating the burger that looked like he was crying, he's going viral again <laughs> because people are now putting on him talking about, this is my kid eating the burger <laughs> in front of his friends, like, in front of his brothers and sisters that I bought him and the kid is sitting there like just chewing like with this look on his face. So, that one is going all kinds of crazy. Uh, here, here, Here's one for you. And like I told you, man, I don't, like I said, whoever's writing these headlines for you, I'm clicking regardless, right? Pastor arrested for allegedly masturbating on Starbucks patio. First of all, I want to know how, what, was it daytime? Was it nighttime? I, I didn't even yeah. click on the story, but how does a pastor yeah. get, how, what is a pastor doing to get that far up? And, and I, I guess well, like, they, this is what I ask you about this story. Let me ask you, this is what I want to ask you about this story. Are these kind of stories fed through you like through a back channel or do you just happen to have that many people on the scene that, yo, we got it. This is one, bro. This is one. So I think there's there's a, there's two ways of doing it. So that's a story that was just like a local story that kind of caught on. And we just found that story. And so a lot of times there'll be like a, a story happening locally in Tampa. And so if you're in Tampa, maybe you hear about the story. But if you're, you know, in the Northeast or you're out West, you probably don't know these stories. So what we'll do is we'll take that story that's been, you know, the journalists in the ta- in the local Tampa news has talked about it, and we're, we're bringing it nationally to these people. So with a story like that, we did very little of the actual reporting. I think more of the celebrity stuff is where we spend our time kind of working on the, the, the actual reporting of the news. But you ain't going to admit that it's you writing those headlines? You ain't going to admit that it's you? I wish I was. I wish I was. There are plenty of people over here that are way, way, way more talented than me. Um, I got to give them all the credit. This story's on on, uh, Media Takeout in a couple of different places in a couple of different ways, but I want to get your thoughts on uh, Versus, right? Do you think that, first of all, what did you think about the last Versus with Omarion versus uh, Mario, which I wasn't even sure who was on versus by the time the next day came because I saw clips of Tank, Jeremiah, uh, Ray J with his baby. It was all kinds of stuff going on. So that's the one question. Would you think of the last verses that happened? And as a person that lives in the digital space, do you think that versus is on its way out? 
Well, I think the the reason for versus worked best when um, during the pandemic, right, where you literally had these two people that were on stage and they were kind of doing it. Now the the idea is they're kind of they're trying to expand it, so it's more like a concert. There's an audience and whatever else. So it's just it's not clear to me what the value really is of it. And then I think a lot of times too, because it's not that kind of intimate setting, you're bringing all these people in there. Um, everybody, you have all these different personalities. The show is just a lot longer than it was. I mean, this one was, it was like three hours or something like that. I wow. was asleep trying to record. So it was, it, it just got really long and it just, it turned into a concert. And it's not, it's no longer just kind of one-on-one, 45 minutes, two people doing their hits, one, one against each other. And so I think it, it, it's losing a lot of its luster. But, you know, there, there's a lot of, you know, it's getting more money. And as it's getting more money, you see a lot of people that are showing up over there. The value or the, 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 the quality of the clientele can raise, right? So, you know, in the beginning, it was like, you know, a couple of rappers. And then you started getting some, you know, some legends in the rap game. And then you're getting legends outside of the rap game. I mean, if it continues to grow, you could maybe you'll see like a Jay-Z nod versus something like that. That would be like if it could get to that level where you have those, that quality of of artists with that kind of catalog, then it could really, I think, kind of move the culture. So I, I still think there's plenty, plenty of room in there. I think they got to kind of like fix it a little bit. This three hour thing is just nobody's sitting there watching anything for three hours online. Um, but, but I, like I said, I think there's a lot of, a lot of promise in that. Gotcha. Before I let you get out of here, do me, can you, and you, this may take a bit more thought than, I, I might think it's easy, but it may take a bit more thought in your history of, of having this media takeout thing. What, what do you think are your B, three biggest stories that you've ever had on? Well, you probably just know this because, I mean, you, you got numbers. What do you what are your three biggest stories you've ever had on the site? Um, so numbers, it's hard, right, because our audience is continuing to grow. So whatever the, the latest stories would be would be kind of the number. So I'm just thinking of like in terms of impact. Um. I think probably hard to know the three because I think there's a lot of like ones that we came out with. Maybe it was like, you know, this, this pregnancy, Kim Kardashian pregnancy or Beyonce pregnancy, stuff like that. Um, Rihanna pregnancy. But so those are all, all big ones. But the um, the biggest story that we've, we had is the um, when Chris Brown assaulted Rihanna. That, that to me, just impact wise, that was the biggest story that we ever came out with because it was just, it was the kind of thing that just shocked the entire industry. Uh, we were first to, to have it. It's, it's certainly not, it wasn't a, a, a proud moment to kind of have to do that because the time Chris Brown was really seen as this kind of golden child. Right. Um, but, but I think it was, it, it probably had the biggest impact and it probably got people to think about us uh, a little bit differently. So I think that's it. So what's next for you, man? I mean, you are you definitely seem to still be very much in tune with what's going on. You very much, um, um, you know, you 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 seem to have your finger on the pulse, especially of this digital game, and I, that which means that you kind of definitely see it going some places because it seems like to be one of those spaces that it's constantly evolving, right? So so where do you see yourself, and if the media takeout brand is included in that, or just you in general, where do you see yourself going next? I mean, I think that the, the probably the biggest growth would be into TikTok. You know, to, to me, I see we're, may, we're kind of moving into this transition where TikTok is the future. And I think 
you know, a lot of people are kind of believe that, but I think most people, especially in media, don't. They don't realize just how different media is going to look in two or three years from now. So we're trying to come up with, I think, an effective TikTok strategy. And the effective TikTok strategy is not going to be to just take the same media takeout stories and put them on TikTok. There has to be something more to it. And so we're kind of working and teasing through a bunch of different things and different animals, um, different angles to see how we can uh, most effectively get onto TikTok. And so that's that's our biggest uh, focus probably. I mean, hopefully we're gonna do a beta launch in the next couple of weeks um, and see how it goes, but that's the focus. And that's where I think the future of uh, media is. Man, this dude is just, it's just, I mean, when can we can I can I get on the calendar? Can I get on your calendar to make sure we continue having conversations, man? Because I got I think that keeping in touch with you is definitely good for not only like just just me talking to really dope people, but I think that you know I don't I don't know how we do it, but I think that what you possess and is definitely that next generation needs to constantly keep hearing from you. Like I don't know how we do it, but I just want to put it out there, man. My olive branch to you and Amir, man, that if some kind of way my folks down here in Tampa, the things that we're trying to work on with this next generation of creators, bro. Like I think that your story for one is one that a lot more people need to know about, but just the way you think and how you think about, you know, us brown people and what we should be doing as well, I think is a, yeah. is a pretty big deal, yeah. man. I think if more of our kids get to see these stories and see see us you know what i'm saying not just holding the microphone right not just being the one that is making a, a drill record and, and now somebody dies and those stories right we need to see more of these things and i think even to your point of you had a laundry service bro like if more of our kids could just see like the beauty in having your own business and next thing you know you're dealing with you know different things of that nature because i think a lot of our kids right and you could tell me if i'm wrong here we, we, we don't even realize how many people are around celebrities doing so many dope things to just keep celebrity lives. They're, they're in their lives involved somewhere, whether it be fitness, whether it be, like you said, the clothing that they wear, the style, how their stuff gets out to the media and gets presented to people like you and myself, right? To chefs, everything, right? If, if they understood how many of these dope jobs that they could be doing or being involved in, I think they would understand that they're closer to these spaces that they think are cool than they think than they know that they are, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, when you think about when you look at black well, black wealth, and I mean, <clears throat> this is this is something that I always said, right? Like I, I remember someone just showing me like what what is wealth by race. So they were talking about like the who what are what are rich like white people? Like if you're white and you're rich, what are you how'd you make your money? And there, there's a whole bunch of things. I think white people are the most diverse. When you look at kind of uh, Asians, you see a lot of people in engineering and and uh, and medicine. When you look at like Jewish people, you find a lot of people that are in like finance or and when you look at black people, I remember when I first saw this, I was actually like kind of like, damn, kind of ashamed. But when you look at black people and you look at black millionaires, if you were a black millionaire, chances are you made it in sports or entertainment. So you were probably an athlete or you were probably an entertainer. That's how we make our money. Just like how Asians will make their money in, in engineering. If you're rich and Asian, you probably are an engineer or in medicine. If you're rich or black, you're probably in entertainment and or sports. And I remember a lot of times just thinking like, damn, you know, that's messed up. Why, why can't we be an engineer? And why can't we be in that? So it was kind of my first thing. And then I had to think about it. A little bit. I'd say, you know what? Why am I knocking the fact that we are actually winning in an area? You don't hear like Asians saying, you know what? I don't, I, I don't want to be, you know, in, in, winning an engineer. I don't want to be the top engineers in the world. I don't want to be the top medicine people in the world. I don't want to be the top people in finance. 
I don't, you know what I mean? We're over here knocking our own success. But when you realize, if you just realize that that's where our success is, in entertainment and in sports, you realize that these people, these entertainers and sports are businesses in and of themselves. Right. Sports are. And they are black folk. You can work all around them. And most of them, not all of them, most of them like having other black folk around them. I know a ton of athletes and I know a ton of entertainers. And most of them, you look at them and they'll have like, you know, a black trainer or whatever. Not all, 100%, but there'll be black people in their circle. Really, will you find a black athlete or a black entertainer where there's no black people around? There's usually tons of black people around helping them do their, their gigs. And that orbit is an opportunity for you if you just look at it, right? Like, you don't have to be that sports star. You don't have to be that entertainer. That's God-given talent that you may not have. But you might have a God-given talent to help get them to the next level that they could see. You know what I mean? And, and so looking at that space and not, like, feeling bad about it. And it doesn't matter if you want. I mean, I went to one of some of the best schools in the world. And I am right here in entertainment. And it's a smart move because that is where Black people win. This is the space that you win. You don't win in finance. Some people win in finance. But there's usually a couple of specs for people in there. In entertainment, I go out there, and it could be just general entertainment. There's a whole lot of Black folk. More Black folk than when I go to events with my former lawyers or former you know people in finance. There's a couple of Black people. Entertainment, there's Black people all over the place. So I'm saying this is an area where we win, sports and entertainment. And so if there's one thing, if you're, gonna, if you're thinking about coming out with a company, you're thinking, like, what do I do? What do I, should I do a laundry search or whatever? Not, not, I'm not knocking you for doing that or trying that or anything. I'm just saying you will find, generally speaking, that in areas of entertainment and sports, because the people at the top, not necessarily the top, the owner, but the people that are the top sports people, the top entertainers, these are black folks that are out there. And you're going to get a better shot with them, just like if you were Asian and you were going into engineering and everybody already you know, looked at you and said, okay, you're Asian, you're probably pretty good at engineering. Another Asian guy is making the decision, whatever. Maybe you can get a couple of benefits off of that. Not hating, that's how they do it over there. And I'm saying, that's how we do it over here too. So if you're thinking about what to do, you might want to go into this. And this is, if, you, if you're one of those entrepreneurs like me who had no idea, I was just looking for opportunities and, and, and saying, where am I going to look for? Where is it going to go? Where am I going to find it? Take a look at the places where black people are. And that's entertainment and sports. Hey, um, I think that's how we end it, man. Uh, where <laughs> so, so many uh, gems here, man. And I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, man. Like you just don't even understand. Like, and, and then you, you let me even shoot some of these, you know, some of these nifty titles back to you too, man. So I appreciate that as well. Where can they find you at on social media? Not really on social media all that much. Uh, I have a Twitter, which is, uh, Fred underscore MTO, I think. Um, but I'm not really on it. I don't really tweet much on it, and I don't really reply to tweets. Um, I stay off social media. I spend all my time working at Media Takeout, trying to give you guys the best possible stories out there. So if you want to help support me or talk to me or find out what I'm thinking, you can go Media Takeout. If you read between the lines, I think you could probably figure some of that stuff out. Man, the myth. Uh, let me get this right again because it's a lot of syllables here. And I'll get out. I, I had the first one right, but I thought I had it. Fred Mahanga Mawanga Gahanga. Fred. There you go. Mawanga Gahanga. Can I call yeah. you Fred though, my guy Fred? 
Yeah, that way yeah. I never mess it up. We hanging out, I'd be like my guy Fred right here. Introduce <laughs> you to Fred right here. That way I never mess up. People do that to me. They'd be like, uh, Iken? Uh, how you spell it? A- I- no, bro, it's like Nike backwards. Eken, E-K-I-N. So I I know, I like I said, I, I don't ever want to be the guy to do that, man. And I really appreciate you taking the time, man. And seriously, it means more than you know, man. And for yourself to sit here and drop these gems on me, man, I, I appreciate that, man. It means more than words. All right, man. Uh, I well, sal- I had a great time, too. I, I salute you. Uh, much success to you. I will definitely be watching and you know clicking on and uh these links and these stories and um you know man just just continue to grow man and and i think it's dope what you're doing i think it's dope like what you stand for and everything else man and just keep leading the way man i appreciate it thank you very much respect man talk soon man all right, brother. It's the DJ Podcast, man. Uh, we just get to do it every single week, man. I, I'm just trying to just do it better, man. If you like it, uh, do what we do, man. It's uh, on that YouTube channel, DJ Eakin TV. Like, subscribe, all that good stuff. And, of course, wherever you get your podcast fixed, at DJ Eakin. I right, the DJ Eakin Podcast, man. We gone, man. I appreciate you, Fred, man. Salute you, man. And, and much continued success, man. And check out that media takeout, man. It is leading the way. All right. We gone, man. I'm Jerry P. Tuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com.